pray that I may speak in the name of God, the lover, the beloved, and the love-sharer. Amen. I want to connect up three elements that greet us on this, the third Sunday of the Epiphany. The first two concern the readings that we've just listened to, the rather difficult reading from Paul to the Corinthians, and the Gospel of Matthew's account of the call of the first disciples, which is so startling that perhaps the most natural reaction for most of us is to switch off and pretend that we haven't heard it. And the third element, improbably, to connect to these readings is the fact that today, following this Eucharist, we will be holding our annual meeting. I, in preparation for preaching, I often spend a little time looking at a website called Text Week, which is uh, hosted by Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. Text Week gives you a good cross view of what I call the chatter, the preaching chatter relating to the readings for the upcoming Sunday. Sometimes after I've waded through all the blog sites that it lists, my head is so full of preaching chatter that I long for silence. But I look at text week not, not so much to just see what other people are saying. Uh, the thing about preaching is that it's always got a very specific audience in mind. And while there are many fine preachers on this website, they're not preaching in this community. What I look for in text week is an internal experience within me. I call it the spark. I'm waiting for the spark to ignite my own reflections, which are related very specifically to my membership of this community. The spark this week happened in uh, a blog site by a Lutheran pastor in Yuma called Brian Stoffrigan. I invariably find what he has to say extremely helpful. And he was talking about having some years ago attended a workshop by a man called Bill Eason. And Isam has a theory about congregational life. And he divides congregations into three groups. The deciders, the doers, and the ignored. And this analysis uh, triggered in me uh, the experience that I often have because people will often say to me, They'll say, 
Father Mark, isn't it wonderful that we have so many new people coming Sunday by Sunday? Pause. But who are these people? Another version of that is Father Mark. You know, I look around these days and I don't recognize half the congregation. And it reminded me that this last week, one of the important things that I did was to sit in conversation with a longtime member of this Trinity community. And they were airing some concerns that they had about what they perceived to have been a recent lack of transparency. And as I listened, I had to acknowledge that maybe communication isn't always what it needs to be. And it related particularly to some decisions that have had to be made rather quickly by the Finance Committee in relation to the 2014 budget. And I fully own up to the uh, fact that perhaps I had needed to communicate that a little more effectively. But as often the case, uh, a lack of transparency really is a failure in communication rather than a conspiracy of concealment. And after we had talked about the concerns this person was bringing, they began to reminisce about a time when this congregation was a fraction of the size that it now is. And yet, in that small congregation, they not only managed to keep the lights on and the structures working, but they were able to be a presence of discipleship in the wider world that left a footprint infinitely greater than the numbers. And what interests me about this period in our history is that while a small remnant struggled to keep the place alive, their priority was nevertheless focused on making a difference in the world around them. Social outreach through service brought their discipleship to life. And it was the energy of discipleship and not the privileges or the duties of membership that resulted in the incredibly dedicated purpose that literally was able to move mountains. Because in, according to Eason's theory, in those days at Trinity, the deciders and the doers were essentially the same group. And there had yet to arise a sizable group of what he calls the ignored. He calls them the ignored because the deciders and the doers often don't know who they are. 
And in the last five years, we have witnessed a steady but remarkable growth in the size of our community. And one of the results of that is it has increased the segment of the congregation that Esam calls the ignored, and it has resulted in an eroding of the common ground between decider and doer. One of Esam's uh, suggestions is that when a congregation is in the process of growing, one of the phenomena that takes place is that the doers, some of whom anyway become dreamers. And that increases the tension between doers and deciders because deciders don't care much for dreamers. They don't get things done. And dreamers tend not to confront deciders. And as these two groups grow wider and wider apart, many of the dreamers end up relegated to that sector called the ignored. And as the number of doers in our community shrinks, it is quite clear to me that this is happening. It's partly because some of you who traditionally have been doers are maybe becoming dreamers. But it's also a recognition of a transgenerational shift. Newer generations are less interested in being good servants of the institution. They're much more interested in becoming spiritual seekers. And as the shift begins to show itself in the life of our community, one of the consequences of that is that what at one time the deciders and the doers took responsibility for increasingly falls to the paid staff. Now, during the interregnum, one of my priorities has been to increase the effectiveness and the confidence of the paid staff. As a congregation grows, that's a very necessary development in order to ensure that good organization continues. But I am well aware that this development is something of a two-edged sword because as the gulf between deciders and doers and the size of the ignored increase, it poses for us the very danger that St. Paul is writing to the Corinthians about this morning. Namely, a danger to our structural cohesion, a danger to our mutual affection for one another, and a danger to our unity in striving for what Paul calls being of the same mind and the same purpose. 
Now, what Paul means by this is not an intolerance and an ability to tolerate diversity and difference. Our community of the Episcopal Church embraces difference, welcomes diversity as the necessary ingredient for the vibrancy of community life. And so what Paul is talking about is not an intolerance for difference that we often find in other Christian communities. He's talking about the commonality that despite our diversity unites us through our shared baptism into the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For, for Paul, that is the event that has changed everything. And where Trinity was once a small urban congregation famous for punching above its weight through the size of the discipleship footprint in the world, today we need to be alert to the paradox that our discipleship footprint in the world around us can also shrink as a consequence of our growth in size. Matthew's depiction of the call of the disciples is startling and somewhat alarming if we take it seriously. I imagine that Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, dropped their nets and followed Jesus because they experienced being called into an intimacy of relationship, a relationship with the Lord that offered them meaning and purpose in their lives that far exceeded anything that they could have expected. And do we not yearn for the same experience of meaning and purpose, of relationship that promises enhanced meaning and purpose beyond, way beyond, our cautious and rational expectations. And as I listened in conversation this last week, I caught the echo of such an experience that some here can still remember. And what I currently notice is the gradual replacement of traditional doers by dreamers. And this presents us with a challenge and an opportunity. Because the real challenge Trinity faces is the urgent need for our continued growth, growth in numbers, to translate into an invitation for more and more spiritual seekers to become dreamers and through dreaming become open to Christ's call to discipleship. 
otherwise newcomers to our community risk ending up relegated in Bill Eastham's category of the ignored. Spiritual observers who remain largely uninvolved in the life of discipleship. And for me, this is the significant issue facing our congregational life as we move into 2014. 2014 has been announced by the arrival of our new dean. And I invite us to view this as the beginning of a new phase of dreaming ourselves into a community marked out by the quality of our discipleship as followers of Christ, a quality that imprints a footprint in the world around us. And to those among us who recognize ourselves as part of the ignored, the growing number of spiritual seekers who as yet remain only spiritual observers of our common life. We can take a step this morning to participate in the process of dreaming ourselves into discipleship. We can remain for the annual meeting. Here we can take one small step towards fashioning that vision that will be capable of responding to the challenges and embracing the opportunities of our life together in the coming year. Amen.